the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. There are things that uh, we just can't stand about family members, and the same holds true in the family of God, the church, the body of Christ. There are people who go to the same church and make up the same local church who do things and say things to each other that uh, make us angry. Uh, They irritate us, they neglect us, they mistreat us, they fail to say things that they should to us, and before you know it, we've got an attitude, and not a good attitude. And, and we can hear sermons about loving the brethren, and we can hear sermons about treating one another well, but if we don't apply it to our lives, it just becomes a theological doctrine that we agree with, but never do anything about, never have any practical application. It's wonderful that God places us into a new spiritual family when we become one of his children. He never intended believers to live their lives like the Lone Ranger. Instead, he gave us each other so that together we could be stronger and more effective. Yet the family of God here on earth is still made up of people, people who are still being transformed from their sinful habits and tendencies. It is sad but true that these brethren can sometimes hurt us very deeply with the things that they say and do. Hello and welcome to another edition of Verse by Verse, the radio ministry that features the teaching of Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve has been examining Colossians chapter 3 in this current series entitled, The Battle for Holiness. Today we will begin the final sermon in this series that is geared to help us in our struggle to live as God called us to live. In our last broadcast, we noted that many people respond to being hurt by others in their church by basically withdrawing from fellowship. Even if they continue to attend the services, they don't interact or get involved. They want to protect themselves from future pain, so they try to avoid relationships that deeply affect them when someone fails them. However, as we will see in today's broadcast, the most common reason that people leave a church or stay distant in their relationships within the church is because they are not willing to do the hard things that Christ has called us to do in his family. Things like forbearing and forgiving others. We often fail to recognize that the church is just the place to put our Christian principles into practice. Let's listen as Pastor Steve explains. Now let's turn our Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, continuing our study on the battle for holiness. I want to read to you the the, uh, portion of Scripture in kind of its fullness. Uh, So beginning at verse 8, and I'll read down to verse 17, because I think that that really encompasses the, the theme of the uh, these verses in this passage. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. 
a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to, the, to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. A number of years ago, a passenger on an airplane uh, started to light up his cigar. Now, these were the days before smoking was prohibited on, on flights, and even before there were smoking sections on planes. You said smoking sections. These were the days before that. At that time, the only way that you could smoke on an airplane uh, was if it was all right with the person who was sitting next to you. So when the man started to light up his cigar, the stewardess uh, asked the woman seated next to him, do you object to his smoking? I absolutely detest cigars, was the firm and loud reply of this woman. So the stewardess went and found a young man uh, who was sitting near the front of the airplane who said he wouldn't mind sitting next to the cigar smoker. So as the cigar smoker made his way to his new seat and walked towards the front of the airplane, his former seatmate was asked by the stewardess, this loud woman, approached her and, and spoke to her. And this loud woman said to the stewardess, she said, I've been married to that man for 30 years, and I still can't stand his awful cigars. You know, that's just typical because family members often have difficulties with one another. There are things that uh, we just can't stand about family members. And the same holds true in the family of God, the church, the body of Christ. There are people who go to the same church and make up the same local church who do things and say things to each other that uh, make us angry. Uh, they irritate us, they neglect us, they mistreat us, they fail to say things that they should to us. And before you know it, we've got an attitude, and not a good attitude. And, and we can hear sermons about loving the brethren, and we can hear sermons about treating one another well, but if we don't apply it to our lives, it just becomes a theological doctrine that we agree with, but never do anything about, never have any practical application. And that's probably why someone put this little poem together, which goes like this, to live above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory, but to live below with the saints we know, well, that's another story. And we tend to, to agree, all of us who believe the Bible would agree that we ought to love one another, and it's always some kind of theoretical teaching about love. We agree with it until we have to do it. And so, because there are real problems exist with church members and uh, real irritations and real changes needed. The Apostle Paul wrote Colossians chapter 3. That's why he wrote it, because we know from this chapter as, we go, as we've gone through it that these people were struggling with some of the same things that we struggle with because uh, human nature is, is the same. Our, our fallenness and, and the problems we have really don't change regardless of what culture we're in, regardless of how many years ago they lived and uh, where we are in the present. 
As you go through this chapter, for example, you see in verse 8, he speaks about anger. We just read, read this. Verse 9, he speaks about lying. Verse 13, he speaks about if you have a complaint against one another. He speaks about bearing with one another, forgiving one another. Verse 14, he speaks about love. Why? Because they were struggling with this. And as Paul closed chapter 2, he made it clear to them that, the, that, that uh, asceticism and uh, legalism and mysticism, none of these isms are going to really deal with a change of behavior. So the whole chapter is devoted to, to telling us what changes we, we need to make. And first, what Paul does is he tells us that we need to realize that we really have been changed on the inside already. He speaks in this chapter about um, the, the new man. He says the old self or the old man died. And you can we, we've gone through this. We don't need to go back over the specific verses. But he says, in essence, that uh, when, when you accepted Christ, God changed you on the inside. You received a new nature. That's why he calls, he, he calls us, uh, in, he tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. We are new creatures on the inside. And so secondly, what he's telling us in this chapter is that a change on the inside, which we all have, all of us who know Christ, uh, must be matched by changes on the outside. He speaks about changes in, in our behavior. He'll go on to speak about changes in a husband and wife's relationship, parents and children and so forth. Uh, it, it just, a change on the inside demands a change on the outside. And he compares the changes on the outside to taking off old filthy garments and putting on new clothes. He speaks about the vices of anger and malice. And he says, take those off. And he speaks about the virtues of kindness and, and humility and compassion, gentleness, patience, says, put those on. And, and the way that Paul presents this, as we, as we saw last week, and I'm just kind of bringing you up to where we left off, is, is first of all, he says, why put on virtue? He speaks about motivation. And the answer is in verse 12, as we see, and so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on. Uh, he's speaking about why you do this, and he says the reason you do this is because you are uh, the chosen, the elect, you are holy, you've been set apart, you are beloved by God. In other words, God has chosen you to make you different. You represent him. He's not just asking anybody to do this. He's telling us as God's unique people in this day and age, as the elect, holy, beloved people of God, to be different. That's why we do it. Secondly, he's, he went over in verse 12, he mentions, and, uh, and we explained this last week, what virtues are, do we put on? And we went over that, uh, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. These are the articles of clothing and virtues that we are to wear each day. And what happens when we do this? And this is where we left off last week. What happens when we put this on? What changes take place in the church? What changes will it mean in the way that you and I relate to others in the church? Well, here's where we pick it up. Verse 13, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against you, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. When you put on the articles of clothing, the clothing of virtue, two things take place in the life of a church. Two things take place in, in your life as you function within this church. Number one, Paul says, you will be bearing with one another. What does that mean? It means you put up with one another. You endure. That's what it means. You put up to endure. That's what bearing means. Uh, you don't retaliate. The church is the one place on the face of this earth 
where we ought to be able to bear with one another. And you know why? Because the church is the only people who understand the true doctrine of, of man's sinfulness. We are the only people who really understand that no one is perfect. That sanctification is a process. And theologically, we're the only ones who understand this. We're the only ones who should understand this. And yet, how many times people leave a church in anger uh, over some issue and they, they're angry at other church members and you hear something like this, I don't have to put up with that. And you know what the Bible says? Oh, yes, you do. You do have to put up with it if you're going to obey what the Word of God says. That is exactly what it means to bear with one another. Endure. Put up with it. I think it's a blessing that in the early days of Christianity, they didn't have various churches in their cities to go to. If you were, for example, in the church at Corinth and you didn't like somebody in that church, you didn't just mosey on over to Ephesus and say, well, I'll try out the people here. I'll see what choir they have. I'll see if I like the preacher better. No, you were stuck there in order to work out your problems, to bear with one another or else grow bitter. So I think that there's a great danger we have in our day and age in which, uh, for example, in a city like ours, you could go for years trying different churches. For years, instead of obeying what the Bible says and putting up and bearing with one another, understanding that we are all in the process of being conformed to the image of Christ. But it goes beyond that. We're not just to put up with one another. It goes, it goes far beyond that. We're to take it a step further because notice in verse 13, the second thing that Paul says that uh, happens when you put on this clothing is you are to be forgiving of each other. It's not enough to endure a difficult person. If we wear the virtues of Christ, we will forgive those who sin against us. And notice verse 13 again, the end of it, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Now, forgiveness is an incredibly important subject because we know so little about it in terms of, of experience. How many Christians have said, I'm going to take you to court and have done it, or I'm going to take another, I'm going to take a Christian organization to court. And yet the Bible speaks against that. First Corinthians 6 speaks about forgiveness. Now, how has the Lord forgiven us? What has the Lord forgiven us? He has forgiven us everything. Do you realize that you and I have sinned against Jesus Christ, not once, not twice, not a few hundred times, not a few thousand times. Probably it's low to say millions, millions. When you understand that sin is in thought, in attitude, in word, in deed, in failure to do what we should do. Have you loved the Lord your God with all of your heart? No one here has. No one has loved him like they should. Then you, then you are in sin. He has forgiven us by his death. That is the grace of God. And yet the very instant someone sins against us, we want to nail that person. We feel justified. Now, what does scripture say about forgiveness? Just a, a few thoughts here. First Peter chapter four, verse eight. I think this is the first thing that ought to come to our mind when someone sins against us. Above all, Peter says, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. That means when someone sins against you, you ought to be able to, at that point, just cover it up. Just cover it up. Not excusing sin, 
not not trying to rationalize and not saying, well, you know, this person was tired. I understand. No, it's sin. You don't you don't justify their sin, but you cover it up because you love this person, and uh, and and you're not going to let it continue to bother you. You just it's like you put a blanket on it and you move on in your life. You're not going to dwell on it. You're not going to let it occupy your thoughts. And if you can do that, that's great. And that's the norm. That's how it ought to be. You just move on in your life, and uh, it's it's taken care of. However. If you cannot cover it up quickly and it's bothering you, it's occupying your mind, it has caused your fellowship to be broken with another Christian. And uh, how do you know that? You say, well, you know, how do I know? Well, you want to sit next to them in church? You want to take the Lord's Supper with them? You want to talk to them about the things of God? You want to run into them in the mall? and uh, talk about how things are going in your spiritual life, you can't do that and you feel uncomfortable, then, then fellowship is broken. And you have evil thoughts and critical thoughts about them. Then uh, what, what should take place? Let's look at Matthew chapter 18. Matthew's gospel, chapter 18. Verse 15 says, and if your brother sins, it could be sin in general, it also could be sin specifically against you. Go and reprove him in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. Meaning what? You've won your brother back into a, a restoration of fellowship. If somebody sins against you and you cannot cover it up, it just bothers you, then it's your responsibility to go to that person and, and tell them what you believe they've done wrong to you. You may find that they have another explanation and uh, you'd be embarrassed because uh, it may be that uh, they didn't do anything wrong. But you ought to go to them and, and, and try to be reconciled. And the passage, passages, uh, these verses go on to say, if uh, they will not be reconciled to you, then you take uh, two or three. And then if necessary, you bring it to the whole church because God does not want any loose ends in a church fellowship. He wants us to put on the virtues of compassion and so forth and be reconciled to one another. Now, let me just show you something that, that's important because some of us don't think that it's that critical about, about forgiveness. And probably because we've lived with unforgiving hearts so long that it doesn't seem to, to bother us. We think it's the norm. But au contraire, it is not the norm. Uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Watch this. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. And Peter was trying to be real gracious here. But Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, was the Lord putting a limit? Is he saying, you know, you reach this number and then they do it again and you don't have to forgive? No, he's just saying it's, it's without limit. It's without limit. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven shall be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, there was brought uh, to him one who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, I want you to keep that in mind. 10,000 talents. We don't have talents today, but one talent was 6,000 days work. One talent. A servant would have to work six days a week for about 20 uh, years to earn one talent. This man owed 10,000 talents. So you understand that you can never pay this off. That's, that's the point of this parable. But since he uh, did not have the means to repay, which is a gross understatement, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children, all that he had, and repayment to be made. 
The slave, therefore, falling down, prostrated himself before him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything, which is a joke. He could never do that. Couldn't live enough years to do that. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Now, this is an illustration of how God does it. God has forgiven us a debt we could never repay. You have sinned millions, billions, trillions of times against the Lord. You, you couldn't pay that debt for all of eternity. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, about three months' work, uh, wages. Three months' work. Of, of pay. And he seized him, began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell down and began to entreat him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. He was unwilling, however, but went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he owed. What an ungracious man. What a horrible man. What a man similar to so many Christians. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you entreated me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave, even as I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. So shall Jesus said, my heavenly father do all also do to you if each of you should not forgive his brother from his heart. Now, I want to clarify this. This does not mean that if you don't forgive another Christian, you're going to lose your salvation. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is you're going to be tortured. You're going to be tortured and God's going to allow it. And that is what's happened. Many people were tortured. Uh, they've created prisons in their own minds. They've got uh, ongoing headaches because they won't forgive. They've got uh, ulcers. They've got all kinds of difficulties, bitterness, uh, because they have not forgiven in spite of the fact that we know that christ has forgiven us everything that we've ever done and will ever do against him there are many christians who who refuse to forgive one offense and if you do that you're in sin and you create a torture for yourself you create a torture for yourself and so this is this is extremely important and this is what uh paul is teaching teaching that you ought to always have an attitude of forgiveness where you cover it up. But if you cannot deal with that and it plagues you and it breaks your fellowship, then you've got to go to that person. Don't make any excuses. Don't say, yeah, but they're 99% wrong. But God holds you responsible for you, not for them. And so this is extremely important. And, and as a church, we are thrust together in a community of people in this church and others who, who we have to put up with all kinds of people all kinds of people with sins and idiosyncrasies, and we are to forgive them. We are to forgive them. And what do you do? When you promise to forgive somebody, the issue is settled. God says, I will remember your sins no more. It doesn't mean that he forgets them. He means by I will remember your sins no more, I will not hold them against you. So when someone comes to you and you go to them and you promise to forgive, you are promising that you will not bring this up next week. You promise that when you have another conflict, you're not going to say, yeah, I know. Remember what you did three months to me? You're doing the same thing three months ago? No, you, you do not bring it up. The issue is settled. As we consider God's pardon through Jesus, it's important to remember that we are like the servant who owed the enormous debt. We have personally experienced what it means to be pardoned when we had no real reason to hope for it. So we are not simply trying to imitate what we have seen God do for others. 
Instead, we are to be sharing with others the pardon that we have personally received. And it is not our ability to forgive that's important. It is God's forgiveness that must flow through us. This is a key distinction. Finally, we should not think of God's forgiveness as something that has been given to us in measure that we must now divide up and give to others. It is much more like something that is poured over us continually and is dripping off all around. If we realize that we are full and overflowing with the forgiveness of God, it will not be so hard to let it splash over into the lives of others and cover the wrongs that they have done. We're glad you joined us for today's broadcast of Verse by Verse. If you would like to know more about this ministry, we invite you to give us a call at 727-239-0306. We'll be glad to answer any of your questions about Verse by Verse or about the message that you have just heard. You can also learn more by checking out our website, versebyverseradio.org. The website has an audio archive library where you can download previous broadcasts of Verse by Verse and listen to them anytime. It is a great way to catch up on broadcasts that you have missed. The website, once again, is versebyverseradio, all one word, dot org. Forgiving someone who has wronged us may be the most difficult thing that any of us are asked to do in this life. It is hard enough to endure suffering and injustice, but it is even more difficult to actually forgive the individuals who are responsible for that pain in our lives. Yet this is exactly what we are called to do as children of God. In our next broadcast, Pastor Steve will be telling us about... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.